0: Glorious. What a blessing. Thank you so much, Mel. That was beautiful. (laughs) Told you God was going to do good things today. Sermon with me this morning, if you have your scriptures, uh, the name of this sermon is forgiven to Psalm 103. I'm going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to talk about just the middle section of it this morning. Psalm 103. We're going to pull back from our Ephesians study just for this Sunday, hopefully, and get back next week. But we want to look at Psalm 103 this week. Psalm 103. This is the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made his way known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will his anger remain forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, praise God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over and it is gone. Its place is known no more. His ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before this exalted text this morning, what glorious truths lie here within. Father, my prayer this morning is today that we'll better understand our forgiveness. And in a better understanding of our forgiveness, that we will be fearless for you. Our lives will be given. Your glory will be seen through our personal works, through our corporate gathering, and through the work of this church here in Pennsville, New Jersey, called Park Bible Baptist Church. We love you, Father. Go with us and guide us. Speak to the hearts of your people directly this day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've only got three pages of notes today. (laughs) My hope is I want you to know down deep in the fabric, down deep in your bones, down deep in your soul, what forgiveness truly is. The reason I want you to know that is because I want you to have the freedom that that brings. The true freedom that we is available to every believer in Christ the true freedom to let go of the sins and mistakes of the past and to march forward in obedience to God and what he's called us to do, to live every part, every breath, every moment, every just little thing that comes your way to the glory of almighty God. That's what I want you to know more than anything. And I know because of my now going on 30 years of experience that Christians struggle with this mightily. They struggle with past sin. They struggle with understanding how God's truly forgiven them or how he could ever forgive them because of what they've done. And the more that they know God, it sometimes it seems like the worse that they feel like they are. So those things are true circumspectly, but not eternally. And I think it's because, number one, we have a low view of God. We have a low view of sin and judgment and love and mercy. And therefore, it extrapolates to a low view of forgiveness and freedom. And not only do we have a low view of God, but we have a high view of ourselves. And I know that I'm guilty of this, and I know that each one of you are honest with yourselves. We try to think too much of ourselves. We think that we can do some work, that we can do... And have some ability, well, if I could just do this for God, he would surely forgive me and everything would be right. That's just not how it works because we have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. And once we bring those two things into balance, it helps tremendously to see that we're forgiven and that we can march forward in that forgiveness to do everything that God's called us to do and that we can please God and glorify God and that we can live with the freedom that God wants us to have as his people not only as his people, the church, but as his people here in Pensville, New Jersey. And people will see that freedom. They'll desire that freedom. So I want you to know that freedom. I want you to know the forgiveness of God. So we take just this moment this morning to deal with just these few texts, and I specifically want to look at verses 10, 11, and 12 He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to what our iniquities are deserving. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. His love is greater than any and all of creation. It's higher, whatever And however high all of the heavens are, all of the galaxies that stretch out for continually on forever and ever, there's billions of them, beloved. All of those galaxies, all of the highest heaven, however high that is, God's love is yet higher than that for his creation and for us specifically, for those who fear him. So great is his, verse 11 says, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... that's how far. That's complete. Complete circle, right? It's just showing us a completeness. Because where the east starts, the west ends. And where the west starts, the east ends. And it doesn't matter. I used to get so confused when we go to India because you're straight through the center of the earth from the state of Missouri. You're as far east and west as you can go and vice versa when you get back home. And I always wondered which way was west, you know. And when I'm standing in Missouri and I'm looking at a map, it's to my left, but when I'm standing in India... It's just the opposite. But as complete of all of creation, as far as the east is from the west, he so far does he remove our transgressions from us. They're gone. I will remember their sins no more, he says in Hebrews 8. I will remember those no sins no more. And it's as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who honor or fear him. He knows who we are, that we're made of dust and how delicate we are. So let's do this first. Let's look at who God is just momentarily this morning, maybe for a couple of hours, and then for a couple of hours we'll look at who we are. You guys up for that? I got a few head shakers, right? Herman Bobbing says this the idea of the existence of human existence apart from the or independent of God. Is nowhere found in Scripture. God is this. God is unique. He is absolute. He is the absolute cause of all that exists. All of the starry host, every planet, all of them, He created, and He calls them all by name. And not one of them, Scripture says, is missing. Thousands of billions of galaxies, space so vast. We can't explore it unknown, stretching without end, all of it created and known and understood in the mind of God. Yet he also knits the baby together in its mother's womb and makes it to nurse at her breast. God created all the complexities and the marvels of the human cell. God Almighty created it all and all of it in all of its complexity, the intimacy of it and the immensity of it, all of creation. He created all of it, the whole creation for his glory and for his glory alone to bring him fame, to point to his goodness, to point to his power, to point to his sovereignty, to point to his majesty. Every particle of it, beloved, Every breath of your life, every day that you live, all of it with purpose and necessity and importance and all of it for his glory. We're just scratching the surface of who God is because not one thing that is is wasted. Not one thing is left out, not one thing is by mistake or accident, but every particle, every planet, every star, every baby, every breath you take, every day that you live, all of it for His glory. Keep your finger in 103 and let's turn to Psalm 33 just momentarily. Psalm 33, verses 8 through 9. Because of who God is, this passage tells us, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be he commanded, and it stood firm. This is creation. This is the basis for our awe and our honor and our fear of God is that all of creation was spoke by a word from our God into existence out of nothing. And every bit of it, every particle, every little piece, every majestic piece, Everything we see, everything we can't see, everything we know, and everything we can't know was for his glory. For his fame. It all points to him as a good God who loves his creation. And brings glory to him. Back to Psalms 103. Because we're going to look at Psalms 104. Psalms 104. Just start to read it with me. We don't have to go with my words. Let's just use the words of the Bible this morning. Oh, Lord, my God, it says you are very great. Verse one, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. By the way, this is the formula that's being used. You saw it in 103. It was in the first verse. It bookended the 103rd Psalm. You see it in the very last verse, because when we look and we understand who God is, this is the This is what we say, this is the rejoicing of our heart, this is the the testimony that uh, Mel's beautiful song, testify, come and testify, come to the fountain and testify what God has done and we yell out, bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul, you've made it all for your glory, you've made me for your glory, you've done all of this, all of it is beautiful, all of it has meaning, has purpose, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So the psalmist starts here again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger's winds. His ministers a flaming fire. Who is this God? Well, he's the one, verse 5, that set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. What a promise. You covered it with deep, with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of the thunder of your voice, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for each of them. And you have set a boundary that they may not step past so that they might not again cover the earth. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast. Verse 12, beside them the birds of heaven dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Oh, it goes on. You cause the grass, verse 14, to grow. For the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted in them, the birds build their nests, the stork has her home, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the badger. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know its time for setting. You make darkness and it's night when all the beasts of the forest creep. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking food from God. When the sun rises, they still away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, here's the answer. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Verse 25, here is the sea, great and wide. It teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play. These all look to you to give them their food and do season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return. To dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. You renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord, verse 31, endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on all the earth, it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. And the wicked will be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Have you read that psalm before? Do you see how creation and everything that God's done, all the specificity, all the planning, all the purpose, all the necessity, every bit of it, not one part of it goes to waste, and yet all of it brings glory to him. There was no substance or principle of any kind to oppose him, no material to tie him down with, no force to limit or circumscribe God's freedom. He speaks and things spring into being out of nothing. He alone is the unrestricted owner of heaven and of earth. There are no limits. To his power. He does everything he sees fit to do. From him and through him and to him are all things. This world, everything that we see, everything that we don't see, everything that we know, everything that we don't know, all of it unexplored, all of it into the universe, into the galaxies and beyond, is all a product of his holy will. And it is the revelation of his perfection. And it finds its final goal in his glory. Beloved, I wanted you to see the God, this God, the God of all creation. This is about God's holiness, you see, because the more we read these passages and the greater we understand them, the more we know and understand that we are not him and not like him. That's what holiness is, beloved. He is set apart from us. He is much greater than us. He is not just a greater version of us. He is a perfect being with perfect power and perfect love and perfect justice and perfect mercy. And here's the kicker. This is the being in your sin that you've offended. This is the God you sinned against. This is the God whose laws you have broken. This is, this is not traffic court, beloved. This is God of the heavens and God of the earth. So who are you, man, really? This tells us a little bit of who God is, doesn't it? But who are you? Well, let's look. You've got Psalms open. Go backwards in your Bible to one book before, to Job chapter 38. Let's get just a little vision of our limit, limits and then see how God has put together the perfect plan of salvation so that he can forgive us as far as the east is from the west. Turn in your Bibles to Job 38, please, with me. Now, Job, he's a great fellow, right? In fact, it tells us at the beginning of Job that he was a perfect man. Not perfect in that he had not sinned, but he was a just and a righteous man. And he was a man that God had tested to see, remember we read from John chapter 14 verse 15, to see if you love me to keep my commandments. Job was tested beyond what any man really has been tested in this place. And it's in the testing of Job we see the limits of man. It's in the testing of Job God gives us a clear vision through questions, through the Socratic method. Uh, or even through uh, Aristotle's logic that we know that we're not God. So for us to put any God in us is futile. And it's futile, beloved, listen to me, if you hear nothing else this morning, when you think you're greater than who you are, you're putting yourself in the position of God and you're taking away the grace that he's giving you in forgiveness. Let him do all the work of saving you. Let him do all the work of forgiving you. Let him have all that work because all of it is his. We can't do it. See, there's this ugly ethic in man that believes that if he just tries hard enough, he can fix things. I fixed my son's car this weekend and um, it just needed a vapor canister. And, you know, anytime we work on a car, um, my son loves it because he gets to help. and that's why he loves it. If you don't believe him, just ask him. But when we put the vapor canister on, I was showing him how to do it so that he could learn, but one of the things he said was to me, he says, how do you know how all of this stuff works? And I said, because I've done it for years, son. Right? I've done it for years. (laughs) God is creator of all that exists. Beloved, I'm not any better than he's made me. And for me to take the position of God is to be somebody that I never could be. I may be a good mechanic, and I may be an okay preacher and a really good husband. I'm smiling. But I'm not God, and neither are you. I need his forgiveness. Reading Job 38. Let's begin. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Verse 1, Who is this that darkens counsel by my words without knowledge? Now, if you know Job, you know he's been questioning God. Why do these bad things have to come to me? Why do they happen like this? God says to Job, well, if you want to question me and you want to search me out, I'll help you know me even more specifically so that You will have an answer to your questions. God says to Job, he says, dress for action like a man. And in saying that, he means that you are dressed for action like a man. You have all the limits of man. You do not know me for exactly who I am. You cannot search my mind out. You are very limited, and I'm getting ready to show you this because it's for your own good. God says, I'm going to question you about a few things, and I want you to make it known to me. Verse 4, when I laid the foundations of the earth, Where were you? Tell me if you have understanding. Verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you must know the dimensions of the earth. Or who stretched a line upon it so that they know exactly where to set it? Or where was its basis? Who put its foundation into place? And who laid its cornerstone so that it could be placed? Remember, we're talking about the earth, not building blocks. Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst forth from its womb? Who and I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swallowing band and prescribed its limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and you will come no farther to the ocean and here shall your proud ways be stayed. Where were you, Joe? Have you commanded the morning since your days begun or caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? So what God is ultimately saying here and referencing is the foundational work of his building, all that exists, and the lacking we have of understanding of that perfection. This is the God that we believe we can be when we refuse his truth. Just turn over one page with me to Job chapter 40 because not only does God found this in creation, but it goes one further and it's an important step in our logic this morning to see the necessity to understand God for who he is. Beginning in verse 6, do you see it there? The Lord challenges Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Same formula as chapter 38. Do you see it? He answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I'm going to question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? Have you an arm like God, that arm being God's power? Have you power like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his that calls things into being that didn't exist calls him into being out of nothing he said let the sun shine and there was no way there was not going to be sun shining he says verse 10 to job adorn yourself with this majesty and dignity clothe yourself with glory and splendor pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand, hide them all in the dust together, bind their faces in the world below, and then, and only then, will I acknowledge to you, Job, that your right hand may save you. You see, God is bringing to Job the tage old question is, what can we do with evil? And the point of that question ultimately is. Yes, the evil that we see in the world and you know as good as I do this morning that we continually fight against the evil in the world yet it's continually there and it seems overwhelming and consuming. So what God is saying to Job is you go fight this evil, put low, judge everybody, judge appropriately and judge rightly because God is the final judge as creator. He's the just judge of all the earth, scripture tells us. But not only that, The problem of evil goes deeper because the problem of evil resides in our own hearts. Remember, it's us who sin against God. So, beloved, this is the God you must approach. This is the God you must be reconciled to. This God, this God who is set apart, this God who is righteous, this God who is holy, and your only answer could be the same as Isaiah's, "Woe is me, for I am undone." I'm a man of unclean lips, or as John in Revelation 1.17, when he saw Jesus in His judgment stage, and he fell at His feet as though he were dead. And in Exodus thirty three, it tells us uh, uh, God tells Moses, "You cannot. No one can see My face and live." So not only can you not approach this God because of your sin, but if you did approach this God because of your sin, His glory, His righteousness, His perfection, His holiness, His set-apartness, His majesty, all of it would crush you. Would crush you. You cannot approach that light. Often the sun is used for an illustration of God's glory. The sun is pure. The sun is glorious. The sun is brilliant. And it's shining. And it, it draws you closer to know more about it. But as you do, you know you're going to be destroyed. And it's not a perfect illustration, but it's an illustration of God's glory. In the burning bush, the bush was not consumed because God is a consuming fire. He's continually purifying anything that comes to him. So problem is with us, beloved, is that we don't think enough about who this God is, and we think a little bit too much of ourselves. So we come to the position that we make God less than who he is so that he's more palatable to us. And you may not want a God that's this powerful, You may not want a God who has this much control over your life and all of creation. You may not want a God this sovereign. You may not want a God this just. You may not want a God this holy. You may not want a God this set apart. But this is the very God you must have. Because only this God can fulfill this promise. Read it again in Psalms 103, verse 12. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He is the one you will stand to one day in judgment. But how can we come to a God who is so holy? How can we come to a God who dwells in unapproachable light? Beloved, I have great news for you this morning. I have the best news. If you're listening this morning on live stream, if you're sitting here, you can't approach this God, you can't get to his glory, but he brought his glory to you. Turn with me to John chapter 1. You see it here, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life, that life, was what? The light of men, the light shines in the darkness. You see, we can't go to God's light, but God's light came to us in the form of Jesus Christ. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not be able to ever overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Do you see the impossibility here that we couldn't approach this God because we sinned against him and he knows that. He is mighty. He is holy. He is also just and loving and merciful God. As 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him because he knows our frame. He knows we're made of dust. He knows we can't approach him, so he left heaven and his son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a babe in the manger. Beloved, the light came to the earth. He came to his own people, and his own people didn't receive him, but to all, verse 12, who does receive him who believes upon his name. He gives them the right to become the children of God. You are reconciled to that holy God of creation that we spent all of this morning speaking of, all of his glory, all of his sovereignty, all of his justice, all of his set-apartness, all of his righteousness. You are reconciled so that you can boldly approach his throne in his Son, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that word, verse 14 says, became flesh. He dwelled among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. He's full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one of whom I said he comes after me but ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness we all receive grace upon grace. Oh, beloved, if God's law... And God's holiness creates his majesty and his glory and his beauty. How much more does his grace complement that holiness and glory and beauty? Verse 17 tells us, For the law was given. It came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Indeed, the Old Testament will fill in and tell us in Exodus and Isaiah and Daniel and again in the New Testament and Revelation, no one can even approach God. And beloved, Genesis 2.17 says, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God was long-suffering with our first parents, and he's long-suffering today. We don't immediately receive the punishment of death because God is waiting to show us who he is. But that death comes from being judged by that glory. And if you don't have the light that came into the world to cover your sins, it'll be eternal death. You'll be eternally separated from that light. Turn with me just briefly as we wrap this up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. We can't go to God, but God came to us. God gave us His Son who died on Calvary's tree so that the glory revealed in God through creation is also revealed in God sending His Son to start the act of recreating sinners. That act took place as Jesus came, He was born of a virgin. That light came into the world. He grew. He was tested by every sin that we'd be tested with. And yet he remained sinless. And yet even though he remained sinless and he had no fault... He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. All of God's anger and wrath, the righteous, holy anger of God was poured out on his son. If you want to see what would happen to you, look to the cross of Calvary. The eternal death would take place forever because that's your payment for your sins. If you tried to pay for your own sins, you would eternally be damned to a sinner's hell with no hope. All you need to do is look at the cross to see God's anger against sin because he poured it out on his son and he gave his son as a replacement for you. In other words, your sins, what separated you from this holy God was placed on his holy son, righteous, never done anything wrong, but he willingly went to the cross of Calvary and took all of your sin, took all of God's holy righteous anger. And you can see it as plain as day there. You can see the cost of sin. Beloved, I don't know what part of you this morning is holding on that you might be able to pay that penalty, but let it go. You cannot pay that penalty. So, when we look at God and we underestimate who God is and we overestimate who we are, we believe that there's some work that we can do. But, beloved, Jesus had to come and had to be tested because it's His work, His perfection. Lay it down at his cross and take up the forgiveness that's as far as the east is from the west. Amen? Amen. Right. Hebrews 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, that's the work on Calvary. That's the single offering that he made. He lived a perfect life. That's what he offered. He is perfected for all time. Listen to me. This is talking about you. If you have faith in Christ, you are perfected for all time time those who are being sanctified let go of your works beloved and the holy spirit also verse 15 bears witness this is the covenant that's been made with them after those days i'll put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds then he adds this I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. How far are they gone? As far as the east is from the west, beloved. As high as the heavens are is the love of our God. Grab a hold of that. Grab a hold of that run. Go after everything that's true, good, and beautiful. Because in Christ, with your faith placed solely in Christ, beloved, you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. There is no stain on you. You are righteous. You are perfected. You are free. Yes. Run with that. If you want to test something, test the ends of that promise. You can go after everything that's true, good, and beautiful. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer a need for sin offering. Because the offering that was given, the self, the light of Jesus Christ, was a once-for-all offering that paid for your sin. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, since we have confidence, you see that? Why do we have confidence to enter? What's in the holy place? The glory of God is in the holy place. It was there in the temple. But we have a high priest who has entered in the Holy of Holies on our behalf, and he's sprinkled his blood so that we can enter in boldly to the throne of God, to his glory, to his grace. By the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by the new and living way that he has opened through us, the curtain that is through the giving of his sacrifice, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near then with a true heart. Beloved, make your heart true. Grab the forgiveness that God gives in Christ In full assurance, do you see the words here of faith with our hearts that have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water? Let us hold fast then the confession of our hope. Let us not waver for it is he who promised is faithful. We won't be faithful, I promise you. But he is faithful. And let us consider it's not just about us. It's about the church. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more. As you see the day approach. Beloved, I I want you to get woke this morning. (laughs) I want you to get woke to the fact that God is who God is. Don't underestimate him. And you as a sinner, are who you are. And Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world, has died on your behalf. That is enough. Take that forgiveness and run with it. Do not, beloved, listen to your pastor this morning, please. this This is a pastor's job. He begs with people. Do not be a nominal Christian. Don't sit on that pew, but go after all of it. Grab up all the forgiveness you have. It's all worth the glory of Jesus Christ. And run your race with endurance. Do everything that God's called you to do. Love everybody that God's called you to love. Put away the sin that so easily besets and run your race. Don't be a. There's no such thing. Satan loves it for you to think that you might be able to get away with being a nominal Christian. It's an oxymoron. Because people that have been forgiven can't sit still. Amen? Amen. We are those people, beloved church. You are those people. Take up all of the forgiveness that's available in Christ. Throw down your works. They're filthy rags, the Bible says. Even the best of them. Forgive yourself. And onward, Christian soldier. Amen. Gracious Father, as we come this day. May you instill in the hearts of your people, boy, do we need a spiritual awakening here in Pennsville, New Jersey. May you instill this day in the hearts of your people the strength and the glory that comes from knowing that we're fully forgiven in Christ, that he is enough. Father, your glory overwhelms us. The more we meditate on these scriptures, the more we see who you are, the more crushed our soul can become. But it's because we stand in our own work against you. We could never do that. Father, your glory penetrates every bit of us. But when we place our faith in Jesus, scripture says we're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Where there is this forgiveness, there's no longer a need for offering for sin. Give us confidence, Father. Give us full assurance. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray.